Yo, is this thing on? Man, whatever. Walk with me. Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as you know, I'm a black millennial who is eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people centered on education, sport, and culture. Today, we are walking with the rose that grew from the concrete. A native of Miami, Florida, he earned both his bachelor's and master's degree from the Coker College, located in Hartsville, South Carolina. While at Coker, our guest was a three-year captain and four-year letter winner on the men's basketball team. And in December 2016, was named to the all-time Coker men's basketball team. He currently serves as the Director of External Relations at Texas A&M Commerce, though his impact on higher education and college athletics extends beyond the state of Texas. Our guest is a national leadership development facilitator, supportive mentor, supportive mentor to many emerging professionals, and the CEO of Being On Brand. To be more than a millennial is a challenge of status quo, while also shaping an inclusive and socially just future. And this man does just that every single day. So without further ado, y'all help me welcome Sherrod Williams. Sherrod, what's up, bro? What's up, man? That's my... It's funny because all of your intros are always so good that now I understand why people are like, wow, that's that's probably the best intro I ever get. I appreciate it, man. Do my research. Y'all make it easy, man. Y'all, especially millennials. Again, we we know what it is. We've heard episodes up to this point. <laughs> um, but I appreciate it. But how you been? How you taking care of yourself right now? Oh, um, one, let me just put it out there now. It's Coker University now. So in case anybody from Coker like hears it, I, I did the correction. It's super new for them. So like I did it for y'all, don't worry about it. You can share it now if you would like. Um, but I've been taking care of myself just the normal ways that I always do. I, I, I'm pretty straightforward about how I take care of myself. I know how to cut stuff off, lay low, recharge. But one of my favorite things right now, like I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts I like. Your, your podcast obviously is in there. Um, I have a coloring book, like I really like to color. So I color here and there and in therapy, if I'm being honest with you. Therapy every week, I color in my coloring book and I write notes. That's how I take care of myself at the end of the day and laugh and joke with people on Twitter. No, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. I appreciate you being vulnerable and transparent and sharing that. Um, but I gotta ask a couple of questions is based on what you just shared. So a lot of people have asked me like, you know, when, like, when do you listen to podcasts? And I know like Ed Jones, and shout out to Ed Jones. You know, he listens on the morning commute, uh, which is pretty dope. I personally listen like during the morning before I go to the gym. But like, when do you listen to podcasts? And when do you find the time to listen to podcasts? Okay, so like, it kind of piggybacks off of your question. But on Sundays, like, anybody that knows me, Sundays is like my day. So like, when it's long form podcast, so you know, hour or so long, I save them to Sunday. And like, Got you know, it. I'll wake up, I'll put football on in the background. But like, you know, I might lay lay in the bed or like sit outside and. I literally from like whenever I wake up, which is usually like 10 on a Sunday from 10 to, you know, nine, 10 at night, I'm just listening to long form podcasts wow. that are the weekly ones I like, or, you know, other, other podcasts that I've just come across, but generally during the week, you know, uh, I pick out a time frame cause I'm a real big daily podcast listener. So I'll mm -hmm. listen to like the daily from New York times, um, ESPN daily, the lead and a few other ones. And like, that's us in, what is it? Shortwave from NPR. 
Um, and that's like a total of like two hours, right? Mm -hmm. So like whenever I need to re like kind of chill out in the afternoon, like as I get off work, like, you know, that's when I usually play those. So that, that gives me that good two hour window to like decompress from work and then transition into me just relaxing at night. So like, that's usually when I, that's my sweet spot to listen to them for like my daily podcast that I like is those two hours right after work. No, that's clutch. It's something I probably need to uh, think about or, or even consider implementing in my own uh, professional career. Uh, but then a the second question I had based on what you shared was you mentioned therapy. And I know you've been also very explicit about that vulnerable, transparent again uh, on Twitter as well, which I you know, think we all appreciate, especially mm -hmm. black men. Um, I already told B White, me, you know, being, me and B White spoke earlier this season. We said we get a therapist in 2021. Uh, but I'm curious and I, hold me to that Sherrod as well. B White, yeah. you as well. You listening too? Um, but when did you get a therapist? If you want me asking. Oh, so like, I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I've, I've been in, in and out of therapy, like a good bit of my whole life, just because of like the way I grew up and like a lot of my life story, it's a wild story. But um, so like, I, in my adult life, really leaned into therapy around 20. Because you know, that's when I really decided that like, hey, if I really want to make a change, and kind of break a lot of those generational curses into my family, mm -hmm. like in my own life in general, I was like, oh, well, you know, you're gonna have to talk to somebody about that. And it's probably not gonna be your family because you're trying to break some of the things that they do. So it, it started around then, obviously, I'm notorious for using all the free therapy sessions you get with your employer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm lucky that we have great uh, insurance with the A&M system. So like my, my therapy is paid for through my insurance right now, but like that's a solid 11 years of therapy not always in therapy, all of those 11 years, but once you learn and go to therapy, they start teaching you a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And most people, I think it's important to note, and people that have been in therapy for a long time will know that you kind of have to go through certain things with certain therapists, and then they can only help you but so much there. So kind of those ones from like 20 to 22 really helped me with that phase. Then as I got older and learned more things, that 22 to like, you know, 25 phase with somebody different than I had somebody different when I was in North Carolina. Um, and then when I got out here to Texas, I got somebody new. So it's probably been about four or five therapists during that time. Um, and they've all really helped me in those different phases that I needed that help. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's something that I just wish, and it's kind of what we'll get to talking about later. Really, if you just lean into stuff and realize it, it's really super normal, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it probably should be more things that you do and then you realize that like you just need it and I think the great thing for therapy at least for me has been them reminding me that hey a lot of the stuff that you have experienced isn't normal but it's normal because it's happened to so many people but you can unlearn it unpack it and I think the best thing I've learned from therapy and I actually have my therapy session tomorrow in the morning but um like we've talked about it in it's important to realize that like you know this isn't to fix anything because you know the stuff has happened but it's a lot of it is, you can fix it unpack it fix it but then a lot of it is managing it at the end of the day and being cognizant of that and aware of it so I, i've been in therapy you know off and on in those different spaces for about 11 years now and don't don't plan on stopping anytime soon most definitely, like I said, me and B White are gonna be joining you on that journey uh, come January 1, 2021. So, um, we'll come to you. Should we have any questions for sure? Sounds um, good. Nah, but Sherrod, again, appreciate you jumping on. Uh, what I like, I told you, it seems like the last minute because uh, we have a lot to unpack on this episode today. 
<laughs> a lot of learning that we're going to share, but also, but also a lot of unlearning that needs to happen um, in our industry, um, in our country, in our world, but in particularly within um, male identified folks in the United States, particularly. But before we jump to trending topics, of course, we're going to start with segment one, what is, what is your story? Um, so as a loyal listener, again, we appreciate your support for sure uh, for this podcast. Um, you know what this, what this segment's about. Mm -hmm. uh, so Sherrod, I'm going to ask you just very simply and direct, what is your story? Uh, my story is I was born and born and raised in Miami, Florida. Shout out to Liberty City. That's where my mom's from. Uh, we spent time in Miami Lakes in Hialeah and then moved over to Opelika. So anybody from Florida don't know exactly where I'm talking about. Um, then part of my family's from Philly. So you have North Philly and Germantown. And then we have a good bit of family from Jersey. So Camden and Glassboro. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of my life, you know, spending time in Miami and then for the winters. I don't know why we did this, but that's where the family is at. We went up, up north. So I spent a lot of time in Jersey and Philly as a kid. Um, uh, for me, that that's the baseline for origin, but you know, had an interesting life. I've basically been raised by my grandma. So whenever people see me tweet, it's Grandma D. Like she's had me since I was two weeks old. Mm -hmm. First two weeks I spent with my mom, but you know, my mom and my dad, uh, both I super transparent with it people with people now. Both of them were um, addicts when I was growing up. So like you know, they they tried to figure some things out with their own life. Uh, that's why I'm super sensitive to the way people talk about people. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very important. You really don't know what's going on with people. So um, both of them were addicts. I was raised by my grandma. They both, um, my dad is doing a little bit better now. He went to prison. He's out of prison now. Uh, he's trying to get his life together. He's been doing well. My mom, unfortunately, passed away back in March. So like we haven't really, we didn't get to spend a lot of time together, but like that was something that happened. So that's part of my story too, like in the here and now. But um. Grew up in Miami, went to school. I was a problem child. I have no problem admitting that to people now. Uh, got into a lot of trouble, uh, got into a lot of fights. Um, the thing that actually got us to move from Miami when I was 15, got into a fight. They suspended me and my grandma was like, listen, I'm not gonna let you go down the path that you know the rest of the family's gone down. So I moved to South Carolina, moved to Hartsville, South Carolina. So whenever you talk about South Carolina, I'm super familiar with South Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, finished high school there. Uh, I graduated high school like pretty early. Like I turned 18 like a couple weeks before I graduated. Sat out of school for a year. Um, met a bunch of cool people. Um, I think the best thing that happened, I had an option to get two jobs. It was either work at the YMCA or work at a coffee shop, the Midnight Rooster. So anybody from Hartsville, they know about the Midnight Rooster. Um, I took the job at the Y and turns out a lot of the professors that I would eventually have class with at Coker came to the Y. So like they were getting to know me before I was even mm -hmm. a student mm -hmm. and um, got an opportunity to be a walk on at Coker. Uh, I obviously took it. Um, it was two options. It was, I could have gone to Allen University in Columbia, or I could have gone to Coker, and I was a big, big, big proponent of family. I got an FOE tattoo, so it's family over everything, and my grandma was getting older, and it was kind of just like me around, so I was like, oh, I'd rather be 15 minutes away instead of like 45, 50 minutes away, mm -hmm. and 
to be honest, I was only going to go to Allen because of Greek life. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be an alpha at the end of the day because that runs in our family. But um, I decided against that, went to Coker. I mean, I wanted to be a sport comm major because I wanted to be Stuart Scott. They had a sport comm program, went there like the first day, you know, Christian Stryker, who worked there for a while, he saw that I want to be a sport comm major. And he said, hey, you want to intern in our athletic department? So like literally from, you know, like day one of being on campus till I left after my, after being a GA, like I worked in our athletic department. So I've seen every bit of the athletic department through that. Um, Obviously played basketball. Basketball was just fun, to be honest. Like it kept me out of trouble. Like it's always just been fun to keep me out of trouble. Like I really couldn't care about basketball deeply. Like when I say that, not to knock anybody that loves it, but like it was a tool. I use it as a tool and an avenue to get to where I wanted to go. I love the game though. Um, Anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that. Graduated, uh, had no clue what I wanted to do after undergrad. Striker was like, yo, come back, get your master's, work in the athletic department. Did that for two years. We did a lot of great things. Then um, got a job at Conference Carolinas. It was in High Point when, um, High Point, North Carolina, when I was working there, but the office has since moved. I got that job because I met somebody randomly filling in for our SAC president and he remembered me from that meeting when I went to it. And I applied for the job because he said, I think you'll be really good at this because you know you kind of do these things and you can push everything forward. And interviewed, basically got offered that job. I was there for four years before I moved out here to Texas. And that's why you see me here now. That's kind of my short end story right there. So when you were at Coker, a couple of things. You walked on. Did you eventually earn a scholarship? I mean, he says you were, what, three-year captain. Yeah. You eventually on some sort of scholarship before you graduated? Oh, yeah. I eventually had some sort of scholarship, but, like, you know, I had decent grades. It's not like I ever cared about school, but I had decent grades to get, you know, decent money. But I wasn't I wasn't getting, like, no big scholarship money. I'm not going to tell you that. Like, no. Sure, sure. And so then outside of uh, playing basketball, uh, of course, you know, being involved in SAC, what other experiences in undergrad, um, if any, uh, influenced your decision to continue your education at Coker? Oh, uh, the professors, man. Like, I literally just wrote, like, eight different people on campus a note um, last week. They got them today, and it was them. Like, if I'm being honest, like, it was my professors that kept me there because, like, you know, I thought about transferring a few times, but the the professors and, like, the people that saw something – in me that it sounds cliche, but like, you know, they really saw those different things that I wasn't able to tap into Mm -hmm. just because I hadn't really decided to focus on them. And they, they kept me there to be honest. And I learned so much, like I learned how to network, right? Like to have real meaningful relationships and really build relationships with people that span beyond whatever it is they do, right? To really get to know people, to really understand how to navigate those relationships and then also know how to leave them when you realize that like, hey, like, you know, we've kind of served our purpose with each other. Like I learned that at Coker, right? Like you can grow out of friendships and relationships. And I learned all that while I was at Coker. Um, And it was really the professors, like the programs were great, but it was the people. Like it it sounds silly. Like I, I was okay with paying that much money every year to go to school because like I knew it was going to pay off in the long, long run because I had people that were going to make sure I was the best version of myself when I left. Mm-hmm. 
in that I could always go back home also if ever if I ever needed to. So no, I'm glad you I'm glad you used that last phrase, right? Um that you're that the professors, the people at Coker were gonna make sure that you left as the best version of yourself, which I phenomenal. I think we can all agree uh, that we want environments like that um in our lives that we can either work in, thrive in, um, and can really breathe in. But thinking about the best version of college sport, right? I'm not gonna move us to segment two yet. I want to sit sit right here for just a second. Yeah, there are a lot of people, a lot of probably too many people, who believe the best version of college sport is at the Division One level. Now, I, I definitely disagree with that with that statement, with that belief. I know you definitely do as well with a lot of the work that you have, um, not just in Division Two, but across um, all divisions as your as a um, leadership development facilitator. But talk to us more about this division two and three model that I think many people either aren't aware of, ignorant of, um, and honestly could probably care less about. Oh, the division two model is is one that kind of it's kind of a mix of both divisions. And people can feel free to correct me when this comes out. But like I think the best thing about division two is they offer scholarships, but they also put an emphasis on education as well. Um, so it's kind of the best of both worlds there where like you can get money to go to school and pay for everything. And if your academics are good, you can get more money. Um, and you really do get an opportunity to be a full-fledged person. Uh, our athletic program here at Commerce, I think is one of the coolest that I've ever seen because it's nothing for our athletes to come in, graduate in like two and a half, three years and leave with masters. Like we have tons of kids getting into grad school, graduating with their master's degree in that four to five year window because the programs we have here allow them to do that while still, you know, competing at a high level. Like we, every program we have here in athletics was nationally ranked or regionally ranked since regional rankings matter more in division two when it comes to postseason bursts, we have competitive programs across the board, right? You can come here and be one of the best student athletes ever and still have a great experience. We have the D2 SAC president. Like he works in our athletic department. The kid is going places, Alex Shiloh. Like you have those opportunities at every level, but it's how you maximize them. So the division two model really does allow you to do everything that you could possibly do at the division one level, all and not to knock division one, cause I love it as well. But like a lot of division one generally is name recognition. If we're being honest. It's name recognition and people will know the name of the school that you went to, but some of the programs probably aren't funded as well as our program. That's a division two program. It's division two programs funded better than some division one programs. And you'll have a better experience playing there than at the D one level. But you know, people get caught up in D one, D one, D one. And again, this isn't to knock any of the divisions you go where ever you can be the best version of yourself when you leave. Mm -hmm. that, that's the whole point of your college decision. Mm -hmm. Like I had no interest in going to a division one school because I actually didn't care anything about that. I cared about the academic programs because I'm a kid that loves academics. I love knowledge. Like that matters more to me than anything. Like my Coker, my Coker degrees look really, really good to people that know academics. Mm -hmm. They know the rigor of the programs. That's no knock to any other program or anything anywhere. But like, you know, if, if we're being totally honest and like my friends that don't work in athletics understand it a little bit better, 
the division three schools in college athletics have more notoriety at the end of the day than division one when it comes to name recognition. Like, you know, the kids that go to MIT, that it matters that you go to MIT in the real world, not that we don't operate in the real world, but like, you know, that aspect of it. So I think it's important for people to remember, go where you're called to go and go where that degree matters the most and can benefit you. And if you can play sports and have fun, go do it. Yeah, I mean, you said a word there. Um, it's something that um, we're going to continue to talk about, not just on this podcast, um, but moving forward, at least in my professional practice um, and academic career. I um, mean, that, and again, one thing you said, right, like you care about the academic programs. And I think regardless of the vision, and I asked that question about best version because, I mean, again, to your point, um, whether it's Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, um, wherever, wherever the best environment for you to grow and thrive, like go there. But at the end of the day, particularly the NCA model, right, is to uh, integrate education, integrate athletics and education to, to ensure the educational experience is paramount for student athletes. And so how can we as professionals, how can we as uh, support staff ensure that the educational experience for student athletes at either division, any of the divisions, is paramount in their experience? I think that's something for all of us to consider um, in our daily roles. But I want to transition as a segment too, uh, which is trending topics. I um, mean, so as you know, um, this season is entitled More Than Millennial. Uh, it's probably my favorite season. I don't want it to end at all, but at some point it will. We'll transition to a new uh, new version um, of this podcast. But I want to start by asking you, Sherrod, you know, what does it mean to be more than a millennial? Uh, that's a great question. And like, I know how this sets up. And like, I was trying to ponder it for forever yesterday, what answer <laughs> I would give. And for me, like, I don't know, being more than millennial is just my own personal take on it is being more than titles and roles and just being you, like being authentically you, whatever version that is, is being you and leaning into it and really presenting yourself that way at the end of the day. Like, you know, I'm an eclectic person at the end of the day, I'm eccentric. Like, you know, I don't fit really into a box with how I carry myself. And that's what I love about being a millennial, right? Like I'm allowed to, you know, have my ebbs and flows and just go with the flow and be whoever I would like to be any certain day and know that that is authentically me and that I can do all those things and still be able to pop up in any room. Because at the end of the day, I'm still in every room that everybody else is in, mm -hmm. right? And like, I think that's the Swiss army knife of being a millennial. We really can operate in any and every room, no matter who's in there, because we take the time to learn and know. Like you gave a great example. If you do your research at the top, that that that's what I think is part of being a millennial. Like we just know, we know a bunch of stuff and <laughs> can just call on it to use it when we need to and have the time when we're like saying it, we're like, I don't even know why I know that, but I just yeah. know it, right? Like I think that's, I think that's a superpower of being a millennial. Like I really had that conversation earlier that like, I just know a bunch of random things and for every reason that allows me to have those different conversations with different people where other people might get stagnant and say, well, I don't know how to carry this conversation. I don't know, dog, <laughs> be a millennial, right? So that, that's what it is to me, just being authentically yourself and being all those different things that we've been told that we can't be and showing that we can do them. And my favorite thing is when people say, you know, um, what is it, it's no jack of all trades or whatever, or things like that. I was like, uh, 
I was like, you can be a jack of all trades and a master of a few. Like, you know, you can do a lot of different things. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. So that's how I see it. And so when did you realize, when did you realize you're a millennial? Like, I'm always curious to ask others this question because it took me, shit, 26 years to figure this out. <laughs> uh, to be honest, it's whenever I Googled the time frame for millennials when I was a little bit younger, when they yeah. finally classified, like, you know, the, um, the term and classified the, that age group and that demographic. But I don't know, like, it, it's interesting because, like, remember, I was raised by, like, my grandma. Like, she's 79 now. Like, when she, when she started raising me, I think she was, like, 48 or somewhere around there. And it's like... Mm it's like, you know, I kind of missed learning a lot of different things or I learned a lot simultaneously. So like, I guess I just realized I was a millennial when I finally decided to just be like young and not instead of acting like an old, older person because my grandma was raising me and just decided to like, you know, yeah, I'm gonna be a kid. And apparently this is what it's like to be a kid. So that's when I noticed. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so part of being a millennial and really millennial culture, uh, especially at, you mentioned you're th around 31, mm -hmm. well, we kind of grew up with, we, we didn't kind of, we did grow up with social media, um, but just like I was 27. So what, between the ages of 27, 32, 33, like we had Twitter, Twitter was big in undergrad, like yeah. TikTok is for undergrads now. Um, but millennials on Twitter, at least older millennials on Twitter now, uh, we love our bios and we love our hashtags. I mean, one of the hashtags you have in your bio, Sherrod, is black, hashtag Black Girl Magic Stan account. Yeah. Where does this come from? Talk to us. Listen, man, I've been fortunate enough to have a bunch of amazing Black women in my life. Uh, and I, I think I've, I've tweeted about it before, so I don't want to make it about the ones in my life because that shows ownership and I do not own those women. But sure. I've been fortunate enough to be in the proximity and presence my entire life of amazing black women. And I know how the world works where sometimes they don't get all the credit that they deserve. And my favorite pastime is to in, empower them when I can, um, to celebrate them however I can, and just make sure that they know that even when they're not in the room, I'm still gonna be bringing them up and talking about them and one day I just said, like, man, I'm always sharing all this black girl magic stuff that I see on the TL and like retweeting it. I might as well just make this a stand account since everybody else turns their accounts into stand accounts. So why not just make it a stand account? Like, you know, I really just try to highlight um, so many different people. And I also am fully aware of the space that I occupy and that, um, I have a very vast and interesting group of followers in comparison to other people. Cause like that's the wild part about Twitter. Sometimes you can really silo yourself into only the space that you occupy. And my timeline with followers and people I follow is so vast and different that if I share these different things it's gonna be somebody that didn't see this person or know this person, now they know this person. So it's that amplification of black women as well, right? So always being cognizant of that. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a big strategy person on the back end. So it's always a method to the madness, as they say, that like I'm sharing these things because I want people that I know to see them. But I also want like, if I have student athletes that follow me to see these amazing women that I hope you can become, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or that you're on the path to being. Mm -hmm. um as well but also just giving people their flowers why they can receive them and know that hey 
I support you and I see everything that you're doing. Yeah, and I mean, and you've done a good job in doing it. I mean, I think your account um, is one that is super engaging. Obviously, I follow it. Um, many of the people I, I know follow it. I know because they retweet your content. Um, but when you, not just in your practice of, you know, how you conduct and strategize, you know, your methods um, on Twitter, um, but also your personal practice as well, um, you uplift women, Black women especially, but you uplift women in college sports, right, in professional sports, in higher education. And I specifically wanted you to wanted to bring you on this episode today to, to talk about just that. Um, and so, like I said before, right, to be more than a millennial is to challenge the status quo while also shaping an inclusive and socially just future uh, for all people. And over the last, what shit, probably what, 60 days now, uh, there's been at least two major, and I'm sorry, charge my, charge my mind, not my heart if I did miss you, but two major um, historic moments uh, for, the, for history of the world, not just college sport, not just professional sport, but literally for the world. I'm um, gonna ask Kim Ang uh, being named the general manager of the uh, Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, mm -hmm. as well as Sarah Fuller, right? Uh, being the first woman to uh, play in a college football game at the power five level. And you had comments to say on, on, on Twitter, but I'm gonna read you one of the comments um, that I received um, in my inbox to get us to get us going. Mm -hmm. um, and for those that are listening, this is Sharad's first time hearing these comments. And so I really want us to dig deep and talk about not just fragile masculinity, toxic masculinity, antiquated practices in uh, you know, college or professional athletics. But let me read you what, what, my, what this person has said. Uh, they had said, you know, I'm in full support of Sarah, you know, playing in the game, but it's not the same, right? And I'm like, what's well, not the same? I just feel that it was for publicity. That Sarah kicking in the game, right, was simply for publicity. The person goes on to talk about, tries to explain what they want to say. But when you hear those comments, Sherrod, what's the first thing that comes to your mind besides bullshit? That's a trash ass take. What do you mean? As simple well, as that. Of course it is, right? But but there's too many people, right? And I would argue to say more than 50% of the people, 50% of men especially, that share that take. Where, what, what, not that you agree with it. I know you don't. But like, where do you think it's coming from? I'm, I'm going to keep it a buck with you. It's the buck. people that need to go to therapy because they need to figure out what happened in their childhood that like stunted their growth on, a, on understanding that baseline, people can do things. Sure. Like women do things. Like I have a scar on my leg that everybody always asks me where it came from. And I was wrestling a girl in the neighborhood, Brie. And for whatever reason, we were wrestling and it was like a exposed like metal rod in the yard. And like, I quickly found out she was stronger than me. And like, I slipped and it like scraped my leg, right? Like I have a literal scar that reminds me that women are powerful, right? Like I have a reminder every day that I wake up and see that women are powerful. I probably knew it before then, but that was a defining moment at like 11 or 12 that reminded me that women are powerful, right? So when men have those takes, that lets me know that something happened somewhere in life that you probably that outshined by a woman and all she did was do what she does and you couldn't do it. And it, it hurts to know that you couldn't do it and she could. And now you just have this chip on your shoulder that whenever a woman accomplishes something that, oh, it's for publicity or it's not real or, oh, I could do it too. And, it, and my baseline for everybody, especially men though, is like, if you could do it, go do it. Shut the fuck up, just go do it. Like, like simple as that. Like I'm, I'm about action. Like either you're gonna get it done or you not. It's simple as that. 
Like if it's for publicity, it can't, this is why it can't be for publicity. And like, I had a tweet that spoke to it for real, for real about like why people are butthurt. People mad cause she's over six feet tall. So it's a bunch of dudes that's not over six feet tall that are hurt by that. So you can't put that in your bio. Mm -hmm. She played on a Saturday in the SEC. So y'all really sick about that. But two, she just did it. Like it's not her fault. Like all she did was step up to the opportunity, accept the opportunity and crushed it, did her job. Why does she have to be penalized for just doing what she does? She went about her day, did what she had to do, made the moves and left it on the field. Boom. It's as simple as that. Like if people are so great, just go do what you're supposed to do. Run your race at the end of the day. Run your race. If your race says that you're going to play in the SEC, you would have played in the SEC. <laughs> like, period. Like if, if, if that's what it is. Like it's, re it's really baseline that simple to me, dog. It's really baseline that simple. And it makes me upset that I know it's men that believe these takes that they give because it's like, what have you done to put yourself in those positions? Because at the end of the day, she did something that put her in that position to even be called upon. And the people mm -hmm. that say, well, why didn't they pull a man from the men's team? If people really did their research, they know that the SEC doesn't sponsor men's soccer, mm -hmm. okay? And the two schools that I think have it are University of Kentucky and South Carolina, and they play in another conference because they decided to sponsor it. Please correct me if I'm wrong there. I'm fine with being corrected. But you can't pull from a men's soccer team because, well, they don't exist. Well, why don't you go get a club player then from the men's club team? Well, now you have to do certification. That process can take forever. It's a whole lot easier to certify an athlete that's already an athlete to play on another team. So that's how she becomes the first person to do it not because publicity, like it's really simple, like read a book, okay? Read a book. And, and so here's the, here's the thing, right? Cause everything you said, um, I love the part that you said about, you know, putting yourself in a position to be called upon, um, which is, I mean, Watts, honestly, by your grandma's, your grandmother's wisdom uh, speaking through even now, right? <laughs> but despite the certification process, despite the presence of a varsity um, men's soccer team at the SEC, particularly at Vanderbilt, Sarah was called upon, Sarah was qualified, and to your point, Sarah executed. And you know, right, you mentioned this sto the story that you had about growing up, uh, you know, when you were 11 years old, um, that you realized women were powerful, right? Which I think is a, a phenomenal take uh, to share in this episode. Yet, not just for the last 20 years, but really for the last 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 plus years, 2000 years, we've still been having this, I wanna say antiquated, but it's not, because it's very real, right? We're still seeing this shit, but the same conversation. And the one thing that's frustrating about me, right, is that we can talk about Sarah all day. And again, Sarah Fuller, I hope someone is connected to you so they share this episode so you can see how much uh, that both myself and Sarah, I love you um, and everything you do for sports and for uh, for everyone for that matter. But that this shit not just ha doesn't ha just happen in competition uh, and on competition services. This is also happening in leadership, right? And I want to talk about, let's talk about Kim Ng real quick, right? Uh, before we continue this conversation on a broader scale as well. Oh, honestly, overqualified, right? I was reading something earlier today. They said she was, she was named GM at 52. Most GMs are getting named in her early 40s. Overqualified, right? What took so long, Sherrod? Listen, what, what took so long, and I read something where um, she was a finalist for either the Dodgers or somebody. And I think the person that was supposed to hire her stated he didn't want to be responsible for possibly having to fire the first woman GM. 
So he was looking at the end result instead of the greatness that can come from somebody that, again, is overqualified. I'm so glad that my Marlins were the team that, that pulled the trigger, but that also speaks to the fact that Derek Jeter runs the organization and he worked with her when he was with the Yankees and they won championships, right? So he knows what's up. Like that, that, that's the problem. And with a lot of men, and I'll just keep it a book with y'all and everybody that's listening, and I feel free to push back. We can have those conversations, but it's something about men that feel that like it's somebody that could be possibly smarter than them to make a decision and get it right. Or you have to live with the fact of the matter is somebody could do it better than your buddy and you wanted to help out your buddy, but like the real person that should have got this opportunity was this woman and women are generally overqualified. It, women have more degrees than men, like bar none th throughout society, right? But like they're, they're, they're being told that, well, you don't have these leadership skills. You don't have that leadership skills. You can't do this. And it's like, they relate better than to most people. Like they build better relationships and we're learning that in leadership relationships matters probably more than your actual skill set for being able to produce product, whatever mm -hmm. that product might be. Mm -hmm. Because we know that people respond better to people that they know have relationship building skills that check on them for things that matter beyond the work output. So not, and not to just say that all women are good at is relationship building and things of that nature. No, they're skilled. That's just the benefit of everything else. And I think that it's just trash that like it took that long for Kim to to get an opportunity and it's all predicated on the male ego though. Like the male ego said that I didn't want to be responsible for possibly firing instead of, bro, you could be responsible for championships. Mm -hmm. Like you've missed all of that. Like you went to the to the negative and like the pushback that you might get for firing a woman instead of hiring a woman, which is mind boggling to me. No, it is. Um, but but again, again, I, I hate, as much as I wanna say antiquated, it is not because this is our present day reality for us all, right? Yes. And what you just said, not just about Sarah, but also about uh, Kim as well, is very relevant, right? We can say like, okay, that's SEC football. That's, that's the top conference in the country, arguably whatever, cool. They can say like, oh, that's Major League Baseball. Like that's one of the professional. Okay, cool. But again, this shit's happening in our athletic departments. <laughs> this shit is happening, right? In corporate spaces, nonprofit um, and government agency spaces. Mm -hmm. And so, and I've been very loud about this, not just on this podcast, but in any conversation um, that anyone, you know, we, we're having a conversation about diversity um, in the workplace, but that entry level positions are overrepresented with people of color, non-white people and women. Mm -hmm. As we look up the org chart, either digitally on your phone or on paper, it's predominantly white men. Mm -hmm. Where's the miss? Like, and I, I've tried to find, again, that this pipeline everyone keeps talking about and how, you know, you're in it. Like, where, where is the miss to get more women placed in opportunities where they can be called upon or to get more women placed in opportunities where they can execute and win championships, right? Where's the miss? Like, just from your own perspective, like, what, what, what am I missing? Maybe it's uh, me. Well, for me, and this is totally my take that doesn't represent anybody else, just me. Um, I, I think what where the miss comes in, just with how org charts and everything work, who are the mid-level mid, mid management people? Mm -hmm. Like, who are the people that are supposed to be finding the talent, elevating the talent, preparing the talent, 
and then promoting the talent because if they're reporting to your senior level people and then the senior level people report to the CEO, like that's kind of where the pipeline comes for me in my mind. Like, are you as a mid-level person that's probably over your entry-level people, probably over your student workers, probably over your, your work study, so on and so forth, are you building that talent? Are you making that talent aware to other people? Like, are you creating space for them to shine? Are you elevating their names in spaces that they don't have access to, to actually build up that where you know, when your CEO or somebody says, like, oh, man, I heard that name before. Oh, that name's super familiar. Um, why, why have I heard that name before? Like, that's how a lot of the stuff works, right? It's like, oh, I've heard that name before. Oh, yeah, I've only heard good things about this person. Oh, this, this, and this. And I think that's where it happens. For me, that's where it happens. But it also happens with intentional people. Intentionality is key. Like, it... it it might make people feel uncomfortable, but like people have to be intentional and say, yo, we not promoting enough black women. We not promoting enough white women. We not promoting enough people of color. We're not promoting this person. We're not like, hey, either we promote them here or let's set them up to have good experiences somewhere else if we don't have space for them here. Like that's supposed to be the big thing for anybody when it comes to talent, like your talent. I, I take more pride in if I get somebody a job somewhere period doesn't have to be with me it can be anywhere because what that does is that makes my tree look great right like if people say that oh like you know i got my start working under sharad um but like boom i went off to this place and then i started doing this if you start tracking those careers that looks great on you because that says oh you can develop talent or you can pinpoint talent now make sure that that talent keeps moving up not staying stagnant and it's intentionality and like people really got to hold all those different DEI stuff that they want to do all these different things and really start holding people accountable really start leaning into like if y'all want to promote within and really advocate for these different people hmm, some of y'all might need to step down from stuff or some of y'all might need to slide over maybe y'all need to give this other person an opportunity and all it is at the end of the day give somebody a chance to crash and burn if they burn boom you gave them the opportunity at least you can say that like, hey, we presented this to them. Now, if they succeed, start figuring it out. Either y'all gonna have to figure out them coins for them or you put them in the right place to get the coins, right? Like that's how it works. It's intentionality and it's also being sure of self. That's a part that people have to remember. You gotta be so sure of self that like, I don't want to hire anybody that I don't think is gonna be better than me in the long run. Like. I might be better than you right now, but the hope is that you eventually hire me. Like no matter how it shakes, like I would hope that that's how it's working. And if people can get out their way, they can, again, it goes back to people don't want somebody that could possibly outshine them, but that's who you should want to hire because that makes y'all better. Also, some of y'all don't deserve to be in leadership positions, but I'm gonna leave that alone. Lita, I'll take that on. I'll take that. I'll take that on. I ain't, I'm not going to strike that from the record, but I'm going to take that on uh, for you, or at least with you. Um, but then also co-sign and, and to your point, I had an epiphany. We were talking in that the talent is there, right? The pipeline. Again, that's another, that's another conversation within itself. Um, maybe present, but again, to your point, people are over mentored and under and under sponsored. Mm. And until we learn, until our industry in particular learns how to sponsor individuals, right? And how to to your point of lift, move, amplify the amplification of 
our non-white um, and our women identified folks in our industry, we're gonna continue to have this conversation and even the year 3020, <laughs> not gonna be here, but we'll be watching down, looking at it, right? Just wondering like, again, where is the miss? And mm -hmm. so as you, as you just mentioned, right? Just doing a lot of self-reflection. I know Blake had mentioned, right? This is the year of self-discovery. What can just men do? I'm not, we're not on segment three yet, but what can men do? What can we do? Honestly, what can I do, Shrad? Um, to start challenging, not just my own ego when it, when it arises, because it does, let's be honest, um, but also the egos of others when they arise um, in rooms where either women are and or aren't present. Uh, I would say, and like, this is like from experience with me, the biggest thing that I always do is make sure that I'm having those honest conversations um, with myself, obviously, but also with the people that I um, am fortunate enough to even lead, right? Like if, if one of our workers came to me and said, hey, I feel like you give a lot of the important heavy lifting projects to men, but you don't do that for the women, I had to sit back and say, all right, let me go back over these projects. You know what, you write. And like, just admit it, like, you know, hey, like I didn't even think about that. And that was my blind spot. I won't say blind spot because that's ableism now. That's what I've come mm -hmm. to realize. So just that's like my miss um, of saying that like, I missed that, right? Like I didn't know that. So like, let me be aware of it. And all I ever tell people is when, you know, I get called out on something, um, I just let them know, hey, I'm aware of it now. I might slip up a few more times, but I'm aware of it. So now I can start catching it, right? So like, give me the grace to like try to catch it. But I think people need to really sit down and look at the stuff that they do. Like when you sponsor our mentor women and like intentionally do it, what does that look like? Like, are you putting them in positions to be successful? But also are you putting them in positions where one thing that I do with a lot of um, my student uh, workers are like interns or GAs is I have them reach out to people that I trust in our industry that are women, but at the same time, I baseline it and say, I want you to reach out to this man also because mm -hmm. you want to do his job. So we're gonna reach out to women that do that job. We're gonna reach out to men that do that job and we're gonna be intentional about it. I want you to see all the different ways that it can be done and not just say, oh, like, well, you're really good at this. No, like you have to be intentional and really put people in good positions to do well. And you have to call yourself to the floor sometimes. It really is a calling to the floor thing. It's being intentional. It's admitting that you are wrong. It's admitting that you have perpetrated the patriarchy at the end of the day. It's like, you know, admitting that like, because we, we all do it, right? Like, no matter what, that's part of it. Just knowing that, hey, I'm gonna fuck up sometimes. Mm -hmm. And just keep it pushing and acknowledge it and go and keep building and know that it's a process every day. I'm not always gonna be the best version of me to do the stuff that I need to do but like I'm already fully aware of that so like it makes it easier for me to be there for people and then after that I just listen to what the people want from me right like and and give them what they need I can know all the tricks of the trade for certain things but at the end of the day I need to give that person what they need to be successful especially if I'm their supervisor maybe like I'm their supervisor but at the end of the day maybe you just need somebody that can totally understand exactly what you're talking about. And I don't understand that. Let me find somebody in our athletic department that can give you that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to go across campus to find that for you. I don't know how we do it, but like, we gonna go on this, this journey together and we gonna figure it out, right? We gonna figure it out at the end of the day. So that's what I would tell men. 
And like, that's what I would tell you, like, dog, like get out your own way. Understand that like when you're responsible for the greater good of somebody else, sometimes it's not what you want them to be or do. It's what they simply need and want. And that might not be, you know, like your thought of what they could be. Maybe they don't want to be all those things, right? So just getting out of your way with that and then empowering people in the ways that they want to be empowered. So we're, again, I'm so glad I got you on the show. Uh, again, we feel like the last minute. Um, but before we go any further, I want to want to thank you. And again, appreciate you also naming the ableist language. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because, I mean, it's, that's, that's correct. Uh, but too, you taught me something. I'm sure it taught other people who are listening to this episode as well. Um, but what you were saying, right, I think, again, speaks to this resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which speaks to the proliferation of diversity, equity, and inclusion officers in college athletics, which is a podcast for another day. Um, and that diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice is not just limited to race, right, and racism. We need to address the sexist practices in our industry as well, right? We need to address the homophobic practices in our industry as well. Mm-hmm. And if our work, uh, I think Javi said this on his episode, is not intersectional, right? It doesn't mean shit. We're, just, we're perpetuating the same injustices and same uh, systems of oppression uh, mm-hmm. year in, year out, semester in, semester out, but definitely day in and day out, which I think for many of us leads to burnout culture, at least, sorry, burnout experiences mm-hmm. um, in our uh, dismissal from the industry by choice. Yeah. But again, future podcast episodes, we're happy to bring you back on and talk about that uh, more in depth. Um, but want to transition us to, to segment three, uh, which is how can I best support you, right? And how can our listening community best support you? Um, so this episode, um, probably to your nature, right? And not just with being on brand, but being a servant leader, mm-hmm. uh, being the rose that grew from the concrete and recognizing your own uh, your leadership potential uh, mm-hmm. through self-reflection, therapy, but also the, the wise uh, words uh, from your grandmother. Um, so I want to be very upfront and ask, you know, Sherrod, like, what can I do personally to support you? But also, what can the people listening to the episode uh, do as well? Uh, I would say to support me, um, I'm big on, if you really want to support me and you really rock with me as a person, you'll do the inner work and then put it back out into the greater good. Right. So like, after you hear this, or if you really want to make a change, or if you feel compelled to, if, if, if it's, it's going to support me, if like you reach out to me or you reach out to somebody that can help you with the different things that we all need to learn, because if we put it back out there into the world, we, we become better. So the best way to support me is to do your own inner work. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. That's the best way to support me. Baseline at, at the end of the day. It's really that simple for me. The best way to support me is to do your own inner work because then I know that that same energy is getting put back out into the world. And if we're all working in college athletics, that's gonna bleed over into your personal life. So you'll start moving different there. Um, you'll start moving better in your home life and you just create a better space and world for everybody. So the best way to support me is to support yourself and do that inner work and that reflection and really take it on and really be serious about it because then the conversations we have become like this conversation right here, you know, and it becomes stuff that we can move the needle with because we're stronger, we're, we're stronger with more numbers at the end of the day. And I know it's a bunch of people that probably feel that way and would appreciate if you did that. Also, it helps to come from a man, apparently. That's how it works these days. So a man saying it, I guess, will will get some people to do it now. And that's and me being petty. So. No, I mean, it's, it's being petty, but it's being honest, Number, I mean, number one. But number two, um, for like half a second, I thought about bringing some phenomenal women I know on the show to talk about this, a similar subject, same subject. 
but it didn't make sense, right? Like they hear that shit every single day, right? And the audience, especially this episode is men, um, men, black men, white men, biracial men, mostly men, it's all men, all male identified folks um, in this world, uh, which is why I wanted to have a, a you know, man to man, if you will, quote unquote mm-hmm. conversation to talk about this, because again, it's not a woman's job to fix sexism mm-hmm. <laughs> in our country, it's, this is our shit. We got, we got to figure this shit out and, and make the changes uh, to create more inclusive and social justice environments for women. Um, Sharad, for the longest time, y'all didn't know what the hell your damn Instagram or your, your Twitter account stood for. I'm glad you put the road to group from concrete in your bio. Um, but of course, I already know people can reach out to you, which I'm going to include your um, information in um, the notes of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but any last thoughts, words of wisdom that you have right now that you want to share with those who listen to this episode? Oh, uh, I guess words of wisdom are things that I would put out. Um, we're getting into like the winter months. Like this is what it is. Seasonal depression will start kicking in for some people. We are in a pandemic. Uh, please reach out to your friends. Um, be cognizant that everybody doesn't have the same relationship with friends and family as well, that maybe you are their support system or just a good note. Um, that That's something that I would encourage people to do. Also, don't burn yourself out with it as well. So take care of yourself too. But like, just be cognizant of that. I really always told people that the holidays weren't always my favorite time of the year because of the nature of everything. Like, I think, what is it, 10 years are coming up for when my uncle passed on December 21st so I'm not always the happiest around the holidays so I would I would believe that other people are the same please just be cognizant of that uh you know check on your strong friends check on all your friends and just make sure that you you be kind and provide grace for people and provide a safe and welcome space for everybody to be who they are and the best version of themselves especially during this trying time so timely, uh, much appreciated. And again, I want to thank you uh, for sharing uh, the last piece of wisdom. Uh, I know many people will reach out to, to glean more from you. Um, with that, Sherrod, again, I want to thank you for your time today on this episode. Um, I know and thoroughly believe this, ep- this conversation, but also the episode is not just timely, but um, it's much needed uh, right now, but also moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, super thankful that we're connected. I think we got connected through, the, through my, I think I was an intern at the NCA when we first yeah. met. Yeah, and obviously stay connected through a digital technology. Shout out to the millennial culture. Um, and just want to say thank you, yo. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. Uh, thank you for the energy, the labor, the time, the investment that you're you know, pouring back into younger emerging professionals like myself. Um, and definitely look forward to doing this inner work um, with you so that we can create, again, a more inclusive and socially just environment for all women and female identified folks um, in our country. We do. Most deaf. So, Sherrod, I can't let you go without shouting out uh, this hoodie. Shout out to the WNBA. The oh, yeah, orange, man. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. orange hoodie. But going to shout out, of course, uh, Asia Wilson, uh, my MVP, my GOAT. Um, graduate of the University of South Carolina, but we know that. Also native of South Carolina, Hopkins. Shout out to Hopkins. Uh, but for everyone else, man, make sure y'all tap in, uh, not just to this episode, but other episodes uh, from this season, um, more than millennial. Uh, be sure to connect with Sherrod. And again, his information will be uh, not just in the podcast description, but also on our social media as well. And we look forward to having more unfiltered conversations with millennial people um, centered on education, sport, and culture moving forward. Um, but as always, until then, welcome. <laughs>